right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast, sponsored by IcarusFC.com. This is episode number 308. Well, that number will give a shout out to Christy Rampone, and I know I've given her shout outs before, but hey, we're getting into the 300s. I'm kind of running out of stats. Uh, but her 308th cap was in the 2015 Women's World Cup final. She came on as a sub in the second half, making her the oldest person uh, to play in a Women's World Cup final and I'm pretty sure oldest field player to play in a men or women's World Cup final. Um, So shout out to Christy Rampone. So two chats today. First with Ann Peterson, who covers soccer and other sports for Associated Press. She also does the soccer newsletter for The Nine, which is a email newsletter service. You get soccer on Mondays. There's also a golf day. Basketball is Wednesdays. There's tennis. And hockey, I think, is Friday. Um, so definitely check out The Nine. It's the and then IX for Nine. You can subscribe uh, via Twitter. Um, so we talked, Anne and I talked about first uh, an article she wrote recently about FIFPRO's survey about how women's soccer was affected by COVID shutdowns and COVID protocol. We also ended up talking about how, because of COVID, women's soccer got more exposure than it has in the past. And we also talked about the the new NWSL format for the 2020 season that was recently unveiled with the league doing Challenge Cup and then going into a regular season format and also expanding playoffs to six teams. Then I had a chat with Katie Scallon, who is the chief marketing officer for the Houston Dash and the Houston Dynamo. She's one of the few women in soccer who's in, in this country, at least, who's at the C level, as they say, the, you know, CEO, CMO, CTO, any of those, the chief level um, of, of executives. So we talked about uh, the Dynamo and Dash rebrand that was announced earlier this week and and you know, what the club is hoping to do with that concept. And of course, there's a Jen Splainer segment between these two chats, uh, talking a little bit more about the 2021 NWSL season structure. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Ann Peterson, soccer reporter for Associated Press, otherwise known as AP, for those that might not know that abbreviation. Ann, how are you doing today? I'm very good. I'm very busy. I have, um, because I'm with the AP, I cover a lot of different stuff. So last night I was working until midnight on the NBA draft. So there you go. (laughs) Yeah, more than just a soccer reporter, also, you know, many different sports reporter and it's such a strange year with the the schedule of sports that I think the built-in clock that all of us have of oh it's late May early June so it's the NBA finals like that clock has been destroyed um so like even in September I'd look up and I'd see NFL on the TV and I'm like oh but I just saw the NBA finals wouldn't (laughs) why is NFL playing? It's like, oh, oh, it's September. Yeah, it's been been so strange. 
It's it struck it struck me as weird last night because you know the NBA draft is always in June. It's always the last week in June, and here I am, you know, shivering in my office, uh, which is actually my <laughs> shed, <laughs> and I'm I'm in here shivering, and it's uh, you know it's November. It's almost uh, it's almost December, and I'm covering the NBA draft. So yes, it's very bizarre. And of course, last week we had the Louisville, I hope I said that right, Louisville expansion <laughs> draft um, for NWSL. And, you know, one of the reasons that I wanted to reach out and talk to you was an article you wrote about uh, women's pro soccer, or rather it's the, the FIF Pro survey about how women's soccer um, has been handled uh, relative to COVID. So tell me about that story you wrote and, and some of the interesting things that you learned from that. Well, so no, actually, um, there was some breaking news this morning. I don't know if you saw it, but um, FIFA has adopted new rules for uh, pregnant women and pregnant players and guaranteeing um it they they guarantee uh, maternity pay um, and to at least two thirds of people's salaries and guarantee time off for pregnant players, which is really, really significant. And uh, that kind of broke this morning. And uh, FIFA Pro actually came out and uh, supported those those new programs. Now, they're not official yet. FIFA, the FIFA Council still has to vote on them uh, next month. But it's definitely progress when you look at, you know, guaranteeing pay for um, players who choose to have families. Um, and I was just really, I was really stoked to see that. So um, uh, anyway, maternity leave is a big, you know, it's, That's a big huge. Issue. it's a big issue to me, you know, as a mom, I've had two kids. Um, and uh, so, yeah, maternity, maternity, um, maternity uh, issues are important. Um so uh so that's that was a that was the big story this morning. Um uh so the FIF Pro study. So let me go back a little bit um to well, first April. let's explain first let's explain what FIF Pro is, because not everyone okay. necessarily knows. Because FIFA, I think everyone's heard that a lot. That's the global organization that's monitoring all of soccer, but FIF Pro is specific to professional players yes yes so fifa fifa pro is the global players association so um while we have like an nwsl pa in the united states we have a u.s women's national team pa in the united states this is kind of the overreaching players union for the for the, the international soccer and they intervene on some issues um they interview intervene actually on a lot of issues uh globally um for example if you remember the the scandal within afghan women's soccer they were yes. instrumental they were instrumental in getting fifa to act and um so so they 
they represent the well, well FIFA you know represents the global interests of the game FIFA pro pretty much represents the global interests of the players so yes. that's kind of that's kind of what they are so um so they have members association you know players associations all over the globe right i think the actual total of player associations that are members of beef pro is 68 69 uh, mm-hmm. in there so um so a wide varied um a really varied uh number of of players organizations um so Back in April, FIFA Pro came out with a warning that said um, because of coronavirus and the global slowdown in the economy, uh, that women's soccer would likely be negatively impacted. Um, it was it it was an interesting kind of proclamation, right? Because it was. You know, it was before everything had happened, right? right. So, so they were just kind of in, you know, anticipating that global soccer would, global women's soccer would take a massive hit because of coronavirus, which was a shame because, as you know, after the Women's World Cup in 2019, women's soccer was definitely on the upswing. So. Yeah. Uh, so this was like, uh, you know, it was it was kind of like a warning, a warning, basically, uh, that women's soccer was going to suffer. Now, we as it turns out, we did not see the impact that the the serious impact that we thought we were going to see globally. Like we did not see that many teams just completely cutting their women's uh, you know, cutting their women's uh, teams. Right. Um, uh, there was uh, one team in England, I think, that decided to cut their women's uh, program, but then they brought it back. Um, uh, a lot. What what has happened, though, um, has been salary cuts, right, to the to the women's club players, um, and. Uh, you know, this Feed Pro study said that 40% of all the, you know, federations that responded said that their women's, the, the women's players, the women players had seen cuts or elimination in salary. Now, yeah, that's super serious. And yeah, that's a bummer. But men's teams have faced those cuts also. Uh, so, so it, it's not... While it is impacting women's teams, it's it's also impacting men's teams. So I think a lot of the gloom and doom around um, the original report was, um, you know, was kind of over overplayed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the the thing that alarmed me in this study was like that women's players had no communication at all with their federations about what was going on with coronavirus or any kind of uh, support in terms of, say, injuries or rehab or training or anything like that. That was that was pretty clear that 
communication had had just been really severed when it comes to the women's game. So that was a little bit more alarming to me. But um, the the good thing about the report is it also pointed to the positives. So uh, and one of the positives was the NWSL going into the Challenge Cup, guaranteeing player salaries for the year, regardless of whether they played or not. And the fact that the uh, NWSL Players Association was able to secure that guarantee uh, was was something that was lauded in the report. And there were several examples of, uh, of how... Uh, Players, uh, players' associations had um, actually emphasized, you know, had actually, um, I guess, emphasized women's soccer and women's issues, uh, even protectively, even in the midst of the pandemic and the economic hardship that clubs and and federations are enduring. So I guess it it was almost like an unintended test of, okay, we've made these advancements, you know, now, you know, shit hits the fan and let's see how everyone does. So, yeah, it's nice to see there's some good stuff that, you know, you didn't see a lot of um, women's teams cut from organizations that have men and women's teams. Obviously we saw a lot of leagues paused, uh, but like you said, they were, it was the same for men. There were a couple of situations and I think your article mentioned uh, the Netherlands women petitioning saying, Hey, why are you restarting the men's league and not the women's league when, yeah, right. you know, when, when the situation's exactly the same? Um, so is that something that does FIFPRO help them with that or Thief Pro just just like hey if you need us we're here like how does how does that work? Um, well, no, Thief Pro doesn't like you know go to the Netherlands and say you know hey you guys you players make sure you 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 know advocate for starting um you know for starting starting play again it's not it's not like that but if there are issues of gender discrimination fifa fifpro does get involved so um so that that's kind of their role they did they serve as advocates um for for players and for federations when they are when they when they're asked to intervene, so um, but it, you know it wasn't just the NWSL and or the Netherlands. You know, um, there's been um, there's been like some major uh, progress made in Argentina, um, and the the men's federation, the overall federation there, the football. Federation there announced a, you know, a five-year plan to, um, you know, continue the path that they're on to professionalize uh, the their their high their highest women's league. So, so like you know, federations are taking steps to help the women's game, and and you know, FIFA has also been involved in this because they are they had this huge pot of money that they said that they were going to uh, 
give to federations around the world to help make up for the shortfall in terms of the COVID-19 crisis. Um, but they earmarked a certain amount has to go to women's football. So uh, FIFA is actually getting involved too proactively to make sure that women's football is, you know, I know FIFA has been criticized a lot in the past for its treatment of women's football, but I really do feel like since Sarai Behrman was, uh, was introduced as the director there of women's football that uh, they have definitely made some strides in making sure that women's football is represented and, and, and the interests of women's football are, are taken into account in some of these larger policy decisions. I also think, however, they also realize that FIFA also realized that there's a lot of money in women's soccer and that it's a growth industry for them, so to speak. Yeah. So, so they so they're getting they're pushing that a little bit out there. I mean, you know, we talk a lot about how it, uh, FIFA has has kind of maxed out where it comes when it comes to men's football. Um, you know that, and I and I say football, and you know, I, I mean soccer. Because, <laughs> <laughs> well, you read enough of those press releases, you get used to, you know. Oh my God! Football, you know, like football, I, I, football. I, I, I switch gears in my mind all the time. You know, it's like, what am I talking about? Am I talking about football or am I ca- talking about soccer? Um, <laughs> so, 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 uh, and I can't even tell you if you go back and look at some of my stuff for the AP, how I. Uh, like accidentally dropped football into copy rather than soccer. Um, so, uh, um, and I forget where I was even going uh, with that, but, um, but the money uh, that, that, that FIFA oh. gives out. And, and like, I love the point about that. They're realizing that women's soccer, women's football is a growth industry because I still remember, um, you know, the U S getting the bid for the world cup for 1994 and, People are like, why? And then the same thing with Russia getting the bid in 2010 to host in 2018. And people are like, why? It's like, because those are huge populations that, you know, aren't fully engaged in soccer that can get a lot more people registered. And all of that is money for FIFA. And like you said, you know, you, you, you kind of maxed out on the men. It's like, okay, you know, there's, there's the women. And Seth Blatter said it more than 20 years ago, the future is feminine. And he wasn't trying to be, you know, open-minded, farsighted. He was really saying, hey, <laughs> we need to get more women player registered. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, I think, uh, I think FIFA can see that on the horizon. And, you know, we've seen empirical proof of that, you know, since t- the Canadian World Cup where the you know the the women's final just shattered um you know records um in terms of viewership in the United States and then with France you know shattered uh, viewership around the globe um people yeah. were actually interested and uh um people did pay attention and it was surprising and you know I, I I've I've talked about this, um, you know, every once in a while. But you know, 
Donald Trump really did women's soccer a service by paying attention to what the heck Megan Rapinoe said in January that she wasn't going to the White House. You know, fine. But the minute he tweeted that, he got so many eyes on women's soccer. You know, granted, half of them were negative or even more than half of them were negative. But, but it's you know, exposure. But it's exposure. It's exposure. And, you know, you know, if people tuned into the games to to watch them in anger, you know, you know, to angry watch women's soccer, you know, who knows if there was a little girl in the room, you know, too, saying, hey, you know, I can play that game. You know, I play that game and I can do it. And these girls get to go to France and freaking play on national TV. I can do that. So, so I, I, you know, I, I mean, I hate to give Donald Trump credit for anything, but the minute he, he sent that tweet, A, um, I got, you know, way more clicks on my articles than I would have otherwise. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's just like, yes, thank you, God. And then, and then, and, you know, viewership, you know, rebounded. So I think that, uh, you know, you know, they say that there's no negative PR. Um, Right. This is, this is a, this is an excellent example of that. You know, yes, tweet about women's soccer all you want, Donald Trump, because it's just bringing more people to the game. Yeah. And getting that casual exposure of the person that that's like, oh, I know about the national team, but I didn't know that Megan Rapinoe plays with O.L. Reign or that Carly Lloyd has a team like, you know, they making that that connection. Right. Right. It's it's kind of like the gateway drug. Right. (laughs) You know, you you start with the national team and then you get to see, uh, you know, Oh my God, you know, or national teams everywhere. Oh my God, there's a league, a professional league in the United States, right? And look at all these players and they're all just, you know, distributed across the league. And you can watch on weekends in the United States, you can watch, uh, these players, you know, who are world-class players actually, you know, play in, you know, on native soil and the same thing with the, you know, the WSL and, and leagues across the world. And I think that um, it's just, it just, it just helps. Right. And once, once people watch the U S team, then they're more inclined to, to look at the NWSL. They're more inclined to look at the WSL. So it's been go. such a crazy year for exposure of the league, right? Like NWSL being the first league to return to play with the Challenge Cup in, in, in late June. And not only returning to play, but getting every one of those games on either CBS or CBS Sports Network and then continue with the fall series. And what I loved, I saw this tweet uh during that first game, North Carolina, Portland, you know, it opened the Challenge Cup. Somebody tweeted that the last time that CBS had a live soccer game on was 1975. Oh, dear God. Uh, wow. Yeah, because it was NASL, right? Like, so so it's also like heralding this this new era for CBS, right, that they've been going more and more into sports. And it's so great to see 
a network like that, right, that has some serious reach going all in and like, you know, the, the coverage we saw, you know, on their app and the pregame shows and on the website now that Sandra's writing for them. Yeah, it's like, yes, you know, and like seeing seeing the scores and stuff on on the sports tickers, even when it's not um, CBS, right? Like I was watching uh, the Seattle Portland game last month, the one that was in Seattle and it was on Fox and like at halftime, they highlighted the crystal Dunn trade to Portland. Yeah. And, yeah. and I was like, yes, this is how it should be. Right. Like it's no, it's not a favor. It's not, Oh, we need to include women. It's like, Hey, this is a big sports story related to one of the teams that's in this game. You know, I think that in a way, and and we'll have to see how this plays out, right? Only time will tell. But in a way, this coronavirus and everything has shown that, you know, niche sports in what was what in the past has been considered uh, niche sports actually do have an audience that will you know, that will show up and that will, you know, uh, you know, turn on the TVs to watch. Um, you know, the fact that you didn't show women's soccer before doesn't necessarily mean that the audience was never there. You know, right. you know what I'm you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So 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 and editors, I think editors and producers on websites, um, this coronavirus has shown them that you know, maybe decision making in the past that we're not just gonna, you know, we're not gonna put devote money to covering women's sports was that whole that it doesn't generate the eyeballs and it doesn't generate the clicks and it doesn't generate the revenue. Maybe that was kind of a myth that mm -hmm. um, that the audience is there. You just weren't showing it before. You know, you were just yeah. not you were not giving the content to us. And and it even goes it even goes beyond women's soccer. Right. It, it goes to the WNBA. Um, now. Okay, when COVID is over and there aren't as many eyeballs at home, you know, channel surfing, looking for something to watch, it'll be interesting to see if like those numbers go down um, uh, and then and then maybe that will destroy the part of the fact that it's a myth. But, you know, in terms of like AP and my stuff, um, you know, exponentially uh, you know myself and and we have a, a WNBA writer a women's basketball writer named uh Doug Feinberg we are getting a lot of traction on our stories and it's no longer being ignored by management right i mean it's not okay definitely it's not the nfl Right. I mean, <laughs> let, let's be realistic. Yeah, but there, there is an audience there and they do click and they do share and they post on Facebook and uh, they they do like tweets and things like that. And there is value there. So. Um, so, yeah. But like I said, we'll, we'll see what happens, you know, when this is all over, if it's ever over and, and whether the audience is. Um, 
you know, go away to a certain extent. I do think the NWSL what really did catch kind of lightning in a bottle by by having the the Challenge Cup tournament um, when they had it um, because they're like literally there was nothing else on and people were just hungry hungry for sports and I know a lot of the you know soccer fans that I know that that aren't necessarily NWSL fans were just watching because it was soccer. Um, And so we'll see if that plays out in the future. But it's so encouraging to see CBS, you know, going in, uh, going in on that. And I think that they'll probably, you know, I think that they'll continue because they have seen that there is an audience there. And hopefully that audience will stay engaged. Well, and it was also interesting to see, you know, since I was calling all of the the Twitch games this summer, so that was the international feed, like the engagement uh, was incredible. And, uh, you know, the the numbers that they were seeing, um, and it was clear from the comments in the live chat that so many of the viewers were new, right? Which is always, always a good thing. Oh, and, uh, and kudos to Lisa Baird for putting those matches on Twitch, right? I mean, that was that was brilliant. That was really, really, that was really, really smart. So, um, I because I think it 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 captured a whole new element and a whole new audience um, uh, of of people and and people were you know people were going on Twitch. Uh, Ali Long, I wrote a story about Ali Long, you know, going on Twitch and telling people watch, you know, so because um, she's quite the gamer. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, I thought that was brilliant to put the games on Twitch. I thought that was wonderful. I watched on Twitch. My, my boyfriend watched, got a, you know, he's 58 years old and he bought a Twitch, you know, got it, uh, not, not bought, but signed up for a Twitch account so that he could watch soccer. So really smart move. And it's so brilliant that it's, it's, available to anybody in the world obviously occasionally there's geoblocking issues right but but like the the software itself it's not like oh here's a service that's only available in this country right so yeah it's 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 all about that exposure to me it it's a lot like wps you know getting on board with Twitter in 2009, really early, you know, early adopter, just jumping in and maximizing, you know, a new hot, uh, you know, communication outlet. Um, so let's talk just a little bit about um, the 2021 format for NWSL. They announced this week uh, that they're going to do Challenge Cup again, and it's going to be done before the season starts, not middle of the season or after the season. Uh, and of course, they're leaving it open, depending on what happens with COVID, if it'll be one bubble or two bubbles or actually in market. Uh, so that would be starting mid-April. And then the season won't start till mid-May. It'll still be a 24-game season. Um, and of course, it'll be so much nicer, right, with 10 teams and even number of teams. <laughs> yes. won't, you know, like that actually takes less time to play 24 games with 10 teams than it does for nine because you don't have a silly bye week, right? You don't have to – There's everybody can play every weekend. You don't have one team that's sitting out and you have these extra midweek games. Um, they haven't told us yet what the plan is 
around the Olympics. Of course, 2016, the league took a whole month off. I don't see them doing that this year. Um, Especially when the Olympics being in Japan, it means that none of those kickoff times would really compete for a time when you might be going to the stadium, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, we'll we'll see what happens. And they did announce that the the, the playoffs, the the championship game, will be that last weekend in November before Thanksgiving, the latest we've ever seen it, and it'll be six teams of the 10 going to the playoffs. So Yay! all that, all that, and <laughs> all that, and what, what are your thoughts uh, on all those format announcements? I'm stoked that there's going to be real playoffs, right? I and mean, I just, <laughs> I'm just really stoked about that. I was like the semifinals and the finals just always seemed like eh to me. So it's too, I short. Mean, it's too short. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, and, and I, uh, so I'm excited about that. Like, like everybody else, we'll see what happens. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, hopefully the vaccine will be available by then. Um, widely available. I don't know what, you know, how it's going to be, um, uh, you know, how it's going to be rolled out and passed along to folks. Um, but I'm hoping that at least by the summer, um, there might be able to be games with fans. Um, yes. Uh, we saw a few last fall. You know, Utah got to have some. Houston got to have some. I think, I think, I know Orlando City did some. I can't remember before Orlando Pride did for their last game. But, of course, very, very limited capacity. Yeah, yeah. Um and none of like nobody in or in Portland was going. So I mean, I don't think that people would have shown up in Oregon, regardless of whether there were fans let in, because it was just kind of a scary, scary time. Um, but um, so my thoughts are: first of all, we don't know if there's going to be an Olympics, and right. my, my guess, you know, I I guess. If you wanted an educated guess on that, my guess would be no, there's not going to be an Olympics. Uh, just because even if there is a vaccine, uh, getting it to um, fans and uh, fans globally is going to be problematic. Uh, just because there are so many, you know, you know, far reaching places, you know, I, when you go to the Olympics, right, there is, it's, it's awesome. The atmosphere is awesome because there are, you know, fans come out and cheer for their teams. I remember in the, um, in the 2012 Olympics, I was covering volleyball and the fans from Poland that showed up for the men's volleyball team was just amazing. People like the people who couldn't get tickets were outside, you know, uh, the stadium, you know, playing instruments and it just becomes a really, a real source of national pride for people to go to the Olympics and watch their teams compete. And I just, God, I just don't see that happening because I just don't see the vaccine, the, the vaccine being that widely available um, to all corners of the planet. Um, you know, I might be wrong, but. Uh, well, but and things are changing so quickly, right? Like a few weeks ago we had, well, there's a vaccine, but it has to be transported in 
incredibly cold environments as opposed to now it's like now it just needs to be refrigerated it doesn't have to be like below an insane temperature so you never yeah. know yeah you really do know you, you really don't know for sure um my but the olympics i'm just i'm just having trouble seeing it happen i really am and then um so that kind of makes the whole um will there be an olympic break moot <laughs> i guess yeah yeah uh, because because if there's no olympics then you know I, and you know did they have i mean i can't remember because i was in france and i was all consumed in there was there a break for the world cup for the nwsl it was only about it was a little less than two weeks. So basically, they broke for the group stage, really. Oh, okay, right. All right. So, um, and and they didn't have they didn't pack the schedule while the World Cup players were gone, um, and because unlike 2015, where it was a 20 game schedule, and last season was a 24 game schedule, uh-huh. so. You got to see most World Cup players for the U.S. were available for 14 out of their 24 games, as opposed to in in 2015, they were available for eight or nine of their 20 games. Right. So it's like the the impact was a little bit less. Yeah. Yeah. So. um, So, yeah. It remains uh, the whole thing remains to be seen, and then, and then you have you know the issue of whether national team players, because of the May start, uh, it's likely that no national team players will will you know be playing for the NWSL at least at the beginning. Um, you know, uh, I just I I. You know, if the start is in May, from what I recall from past years, because remember the like the the national team always has that um, the they don't they always do a match like on Mother's Day or on Mother's Day weekend. I'm just oh. trying to think. Well, they they do they do when it's the World Cup year because that's okay. when they they start ignoring the. Uh, the FIFA windows, right? So, okay. so they always they always have a Mother's <laughs> Day one leading leading up to that. But the the other years they follow the World Cup the the, the FIFA windows. So I okay. think we have I think we have so we have she believes is late February and then there's an early April window, which is why Challenge Cup would start after that. And then I think there's like a June window, you know, for another friendly for the national teams, and then then you've got the Olympics. So okay. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that breaks down. So last question for you, Anne. Thoughts on the U.S. women finally getting to play next week? Uh, They have not played since March 11th, uh, which seems like a decade ago. Um, You know, but they're getting the team together. Uh, They did have to leave Lindsay Horan in the States with a positive test, but they're they're heading to the Netherlands to play in an empty stadium in, in a rematch of the 2019 final. Yeah, I know. It's going to be really, really fun to watch. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm completely excited to, because 
the team has been, because nothing's been happening with the team really except training camps, and because we we just haven't seen Sophia Smith or right. any of those other players, or, or Christy Mewis, right, for example, um, and what, and their, um, how they are adjusting to national team play. So it's going to be super fun. And I'm hoping that because it's kind of the uh, swan song in an odd season, that Vlatko really lets um, some of those uh, younger uncapped players play. Um, And that he doesn't, that he doesn't roll out, you know, you know, the the same world, old same old right the <laughs> the world cup rematch team you know i i'm really hoping that that doesn't happen i don't want to see um i want i want to see the new players and how they're integrating into the team i don't you know i know what tobin heath and Kristen press can do um yeah. and and i appreciate them and they're great players and they're fun to watch um, but I really do. Uh, I really would hope that that we get to see a lineup that is um, new and creative and unusual. And um, and it, this is kind of one of those games. It's like, OK, let's get some competition in before um, everybody breaks for Christmas. And then in, in January camp, we'll get all serious again. So I'm really yeah. I'm really hoping that they take that game in that spirit um, that it, this is just kind of a, a fun bonus for everybody. And let's just, let's, let's, you know, throw caution to the wind and, and play the kids and do some weird things and experiment. And, um, and I, and I, and I hope that the Netherlands does that too. Because you don't have opportunities like this very often. And I, I think we've already gotten a hint that that Vlaco is willing to, you know, mix things up. And, and I love that, you know, the camp last month, you know, obviously for health reasons, you're keeping it domestic players only. But it seemed like it was a healthy mix of regular national teamers and, you know, players who had played well in NWSL. And then this roster um it does get the european based players involved but then also shows a different cross section of that that camp from october so you know he's definitely on track to to mix things up just when you look at you know players who are are not on that that roster and knowing that there will be even if everything gets played in 2021 there will still be fewer games for them to play than there would have been normally right um in terms of the lead up to the Olympics so every game is hugely hugely important in terms of making any changes right um um no, you know, even if they got some end of cell time, like, you know, just not getting the games that, that they would normally, right? And us not getting to watch a game 
you know, it's it's crazy that it's been since since March 11th, but I'm so glad they were able to make this happen and and make it happen in a really safe format and and be able to take advantage of now that we've had those players over in Europe. It's like, all right, you know, it's it's kind of moving into what we've seen on on the men's side, right? Where they did two friendlies this month using only players based over there for you know, safety precautions. And I'm just, I'm so excited and it'll be televised live on ESPN too. So that'll, that'll, that'll be our early Christmas present. You know, it's, it's funny, but, but like, I don't differentiate uh, when I'm watching a game and like when I'm uncovering a game, like it doesn't matter to me. Like I don't differentiate between in my mind between national team this is i know this is going to sound weird between <laughs> national national team games and nwsl games or mls games and international friendlies to me um it's soccer you know, they're all just they're, they're all just games that I get to watch. And, um, and, and yeah. I, I, you know, I count my blessings every day that I, I have this job and that I'm paid to cover, to watch soccer. Um, uh, it's just like, it still blows me away. I'm, I'm so blessed, but, but, um, but yeah, I don't, you know, it's like when you say, when you, when you say it's funny, when you say, Oh, we haven't seen the team since March. It's like, yeah, but that yeah, no, but I have. I'm just seeing the players <laughs> in different environments. <laughs> and different environments. You no, know, I've just seen them with their national you know, with uh, yeah. their WSL team or with their their NWSL teams. It's like um the only player I haven't seen really since March is Megan Rapido. So right. Uh, right. And I'm not gonna see her. I'm not gonna see her in this match either so uh so it's funny when you say well we, i haven't we haven't seen this team since march i'm like, well yeah but yes i have but, but i have <laughs> well and of course being the stat nerd that i am one of the things that, that i'm thinking um about is at that game march 11th I, w- I was there in frisco and you know the team won so it meant that vlaco is 10 0 and 0 to start his national team career so he's tied um, with Pia, so if he wins this game, he'll he'll set a new record, right? <laughs> and and it's funny because like I remember talking to Aaron Heifetz, the the U.S. press officer. We're like, oh, so you know they'll play they'll play in April. Ooh, maybe they'll win that game. Wouldn't that be cool? And then then everything gets shut down. So I was like. Will we ever get to play that game again? Yeah, I think I think that's why that game's been sitting in my head. But anyway, and thanks so much for for taking the time to chat with me about Fief Pro and NWSL and of course the national team and keep up the great work uh, writing for AP and also uh, for the newsletter you do. Um, is it, it's the nine right? It's the nine, yes, and yeah. so um, and the nine newsletter you can get it on Substack, um, and it's um, every day, uh, five days a week, not every day a week, but five days a week. We, every day is a different sport, uh, women's sport. So uh, soccer Mondays is me with soccer. Um, Howard McDowell, who is our um, fearless leader, is basketball Wednesdays. We also do golf, tennis, and hockey. Hockey is on friday and um 
and yeah, it's kind of a labor of love. It's not, um, uh, you know, all of us do it because we love the sports that we cover and we're not able in you know, the normal forums that we have as writers, we're maybe not able to, like for me at least, I I'm, I write for the AP. So I, I don't get to express my opinion right. in, in the stories that I write. My stories are just the facts. And, and, um, and so it's really nice for me to be able to kind of expand my, you know, kind of expand what I do in, in, in my professional life and, and inject a little bit of myself into it. Um, I'm not an expert on soccer by any means, and I have really stupid opinions, but like they're fun to write about. So um, uh, it's so great to have like the links all in one place and that every Monday I know I'm getting this newsletter. So it's like, there's any article I didn't see or new writer I didn't know about. And just, you know, that it's like, oh yeah, let's get caught up. Yeah, yeah, that's like, that's the thing for me when I'm writing about like, when I, when I'm looking at other sports, like I like to read what the, you know, the tennis writer does, because I don't have time to like, look on, you know, I don't have I don't have time really for anything. (laughs) Well, like to to look at the niche tennis sites, but you know, there's a list right there. You know, I can say, oh yeah, I'm interested in that, and and click on it, and there's the link. And so, uh, so I hope that we kind of provide that service for people who are fans of different sports to be able to look at. at other women's sports um, and be able to to kind of get a taste in, of what's happening in those sports also. Awesome. Well, keep up the good work with that then, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. And th- hey, Jen, thank you for everything you do too, because like the, the, the nerd links on your <laughs> site are like... <laughs> invaluable i mean just being able to open up that spreadsheet and see player movement is um like holy cow that's invaluable to me i you know i good I, Glad to hear I, it. yeah i don't get to like i don't necessarily get to follow all of the player moves in the nwsl or overseas or anything and um and who's playing in uh you know what NWSL players are playing in like, you know, Sweden, for example. And um, it's just, it's just a really invaluable resource. So I really appreciate that. Keep that up because it's, it's awesome. Time for a little gensplaining, an easy topic this week. It's the 2021 NWSL season. We already know the basic format of the season, as NWSL announced this week. So 10 teams will be back. It'll be the first time since 2017 that the league has had 10 clubs. Preseason will start February 1st. Uh, Of course, there was an international break for She Believes in late February, also one in early April. And before the regular season starts, the league is going to do another Challenge Cup. Uh, The exact details of that are still TBD, depending on a lot what happens with COVID. So they'll either do it in markets, 
in team markets or do one bubble like they did last time or do two bubbles uh, and like maybe one East, one West and have the winners meet in the challenge cup final bottom line. We know teams will get, you know, at least four or five games in the challenge cup situation. And that won't be considered preseason. That will be considered a real cup, just like the one this past summer. Um, And then after the challenge cup, they will start the regular season approximately mid-May. Every team will play 24 regular season games. Season should wrap up probably by late October. We know that the championship game will be played the weekend of November 20th, 21st, basically a year from now. And we know that the playoff field will be expanded to six teams from 10. So the top two teams get a bye to the semifinals. Teams three through six play a knockout game to decide who goes on to the semifinals. And then the semifinals decide who's in the finals. So we'd actually have three weekends of playoffs as opposed to two weekends of playoffs. We haven't heard yet what the plan is uh, around the Olympics, which are basically what, July 21st to August 8th, thereabouts. Um, what scheduling will be done around the Olympics. Um, I would guess part of that, not knowing that is we got to wait and still wait and see what ultimately happens with the Olympics. But it's so great to have the structure of the, the season already known, already set. So great to see the return of challenge cup and, you know, nice to finally have team number 10 on board with team number 11 making announcements. We heard this week that, uh, Angel City FC, they're definitely going to play at Bank of California Stadium, same place where LAFC plays. So making progress towards 2022 as well. All right, Jen Cooper here with Katie Scallon from Houston Dash, Houston Dynamo, the Chief Marketing Officer. Katie, I have to say it's great to speak to a woman who's at the sea level, as they say, of of a major soccer organization in the USA. So, so tell me how you got there. Thanks, Jen, for having me. Um, yeah, it was an interesting journey. Um, you know, I've always been passionate about sports my whole life even though I wasn't very good at playing them. <laughs> so um, <laughs> when I was in uh, you know, college, I went to Baylor University and uh, I graduated with a marketing degree and immediately thought I wanted to be a sports agent and determined that that meant law school and I just was not ready to take on another couple of years of school. So I um, decided to go into um, a sports marketing type role and one of my first gigs was with uh, the Dallas Burn of Major League Soccer. Uh, Which people don't even know that name, right? Like when (laughs) when did they rebrand to FC Dallas? What, like 10 years later? Yeah, I think so. It was when the Hunt family bought the team from the league. But um, yeah, so I started off my career with the the Dallas Burn. And I just, it gave me a real good glimpse into sports um, overall, because it was Major League Soccer in the beginning, and everybody was blocking and tackling and trying to help and do every role and responsibility because headcounts were small. Um, but I determined to be kind of more marketable. I needed to go get some more um, branding and advertising type marketing experience. So then I spent the next uh, few years on the agency side, working with both uh, B2B and B2C clients. 
And then I kind of leveraged both of those experiences of sports, both working in it and my love for it, as well as um, my general knowledge and passion for branding and advertising. And I accepted um, a position with Toyota. And uh, it was a really great opportunity to be with the world's largest automaker and do a brand launch. And then we decided to negotiate the first ever naming rights um, for Toyota in the world. And that was Toyota Center, uh, where the Houston Rockets play. And then that quickly dovetailed into Toyota Field in San Antonio, where the USL team plays. And then it became Toyota Stadium in Dallas, where the new FC Dallas played. So um, I kind of became the... um, the uh, sports guru within the Toyota family and worked on that for years. And then, um, you know, then went into some uh, the parent company to some entertainment positions within the Friedkin group, um, launching some other companies and brands. And then the Dynamo and Dash opportunity presented itself with um, the new president having recently joined the ranks, John Walker and James Harden recently coming on as an owner. Um, the reality of, um, the new Dynamo and Dash and what it was going to look like in the future was starting to crystallize. And I thought this was a great time to kind of be able to put my fingerprint on a professional sports team in, in a unique way. Um, so that's kind of the history in a nutshell, but uh, it's been an interesting journey being a woman in predominantly male industries, whether it be sports or automotive and just kind of navigating those waters and, um, So I think it allowed me to bring kind of a fresh perspective to both industries. Well, and and I love that uh, you were with Toyota because they really are everywhere, right? Like, you know, even uh, uh, up until recently, the Chicago Red Stars were playing at Toyota Park in Chicago or Bridgeview, rather. Yeah, Yeah, it's just like, okay, we're running out of names for Toyota venues. Yeah, there is no more. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to be hard pressed. We'll be like Toyota Center 2.0 next. Exactly. Well, so you've been with the organization for a little bit more than a year. Um, You know, what were your goals coming in? And and talk about when you first arrived, um, you know, and you're coming in towards the end of a season. I remember when, when we first met, just like it was a frenzy of games because, you know, just so much was going on. Absolutely. You know, it was a... It was a big decision for me personally and professionally because I'd been with Toyota and the Friedkin Group, um, which the Friedkin Group owns AS Roma, for those uh, interested in Serie A soccer. Um, but um, to leave an organization I'd been with for 17 years, and um, that in and of itself was a big decision. But then it was like, am I ready to go back to the sports side full time? And um, it was kind of baptism by fire, as they say, because in my first week I had... I had a Dash game, Dynamo game. Um, I think we had a an international friendly and we had something else. So like in the first five days, I was like at four different games, all while trying to meet my staff in the daytime at the office. <laughs> so it was kind of a frenzy there at first. But, you know, the I came in at a really special time because um, John Walker, the new president, had just been there just about a year and he had, he was, you know, getting his sea legs about himself. And he was like, you know, we're, we're, we're building towards a new future here. And it's, it's not going to happen overnight. But, you know, we need some new creative, you know, thought leadership to kind of get us there. And so 
you know, it intrigued me um, to, to say the least. And, you know, I just kind of leaned in, um, got to know my staff really quickly. Um, and what I learned is maybe everybody wasn't in the most uh, efficient, the, the roles that allowed them to be the most efficient and effective for not only for their own personal development, but also for the, the club as a whole. So kind of realigning tasks um, was kind of a first uh, initiative. And then also realizing that the Dynamo and Dash had never had any help before. And, um, and by help, I mean, they had no agency support and they did everything in house. And while that's admirable, I think it's always good to have an outside kind of third party perspective to keep pushing you because, you know, they're going to learn the latest and greatest technologies and, and techniques that maybe you aren't, but also they kind of force you to be accountable and, and, and hear things and learn things and evolve. And so that was one of my other kind of top priorities was to get, to go through an agency review and, and um, kind of look for agencies and we canvassed the nation and we, we talked to agencies all over the place and we, you know, ended up in the end choosing ninth wonder, which is actually based in Houston, Texas, and it's minority owned. So it was, a, but they have offices around the world. So they have the caliber and the breadth and depth that I needed, but they also got what it was to be Houston. And that was nice. something that we as an organization needed, um, you know, further help on. Um, so, you know, getting to know my team, getting the agency on board, those were kind of the first two things I was working on. And then it was, okay, I need to learn the players. I need to learn how the clubs operated. I need to learn where we've missed it in the past and our opportunities for the future. And so um, the the rebrand that we just announced, you know, was had been talked about and was taking shape as long as two years ago. But the real heavy lifting kind of started about that time. And we were running and gunning with both leagues, both major league soccer and and WSL and, uh, and, and getting is, you know, talking to the supporters and the fans and just trying to learn what we could learn, do as much research as we could. And that's when we knew right off the bat that there's no way we're going to get rid of the name Dynamo. There's no way we're going to get rid of the name Dash. And there's no way we were going to get rid of the color orange because all of those were synonymous with Houston. And we were, right. Right. Focused on, you know, leaning into that and then also further leaning into our community and everything that makes Houston great. So how did the the specific idea for these two, uh, you know, new crests um, that are, are so well connected, how did that come about, the whole one club idea? You know, that started... Um, Shortly after my arrival, um, the Dash uh, made a trip to Mexico and played uh, the, T- the ladies Tigris team. And what we noticed um, while we were on that trip is how Tigris did an amazing job of cross-promoting their men's and women's teams. And they did it in every aspect, whether it was their advertising, their sales, you know, whatever the case may be. So we were like okay, wait a second, we're the only professional women's sports team in Houston, which is the fourth largest city in America. Um, I think I hear it's going to be third pretty soon after the census. I think we're going to beat Chicago. But um, anyway, so I was like, what about what we're missing such a great opportunity here with the, the, the dash. And so we kind of deep dove into that and figured out that, um, 
part of becoming Houston's team was kind of paying homage to things that made Houston great, which is the, the saying, hold it down, because you're holding it down for H-Town and your neighbors. And it's, you know, a saying that originated on the streets of Houston. And, and so we thought, you know, that's, that's who we want to be. We want to hold it down for our fans and our, the players and the staff and the supporters. And we want to, we want to be able to be that team, but that should be a joint unified campaign. Why should it just be Dash or why should it just be Dynamo? I mean, we, we are one club. So that was when we launched um, the Hold It Down campaign in January, which was the first ever unified campaign between the Dynamo and Dash. And I think it just took kind of a fresh set of eyes to come in and see some new opportunities that maybe had been overlooked in the past. Um, now that, you know, we have two established teams here and before, you know, you know, we had, you know, different teams getting added and academies and, and affiliates. And then we were kind of like, wait a second, you know, we're one club here. And so let's launch this unified campaign and put the, the ladies on the same platform as the men. And, um, you know, it was really successful for us this year. And then the ladies went out and just, you know, kicked ass and won the challenge cup you know, amongst the greatest of odds with COVID and the testing and the bubbles and all that stuff. And, you know, the girls, they just really came together this year as a cohesive unit. And they they were playing not only for themselves and for our club, but they were playing for our city. And that's when we, it just, it just resonated even further that that's, that's who we are. You know, we're holding it down for H-Town, both on and off the field both the men and the ladies. And so um, the one club mentality really, you know, kind of then took off and, and then, you know, the rebrand of, you know, the new logos and whatnot has just been yet another layer on that. And it's kind of like building a house. We, you know, we laid the foundation and we put up the framework and then, you know, and we're, we're continually building and, and um, you know, we're just, we're just in the beginning of a very long process. It'll, you know, take a year or two, I'm sure, to complete, um, but we're excited about where it's going. And the ladies are as well, I mean, as well as the men. I mean, both the Dash and the Dynamo players have really embraced this, and, and the camaraderie between the two squads has grown immensely, and, and, and they're, they're kind of feeding off each other. So that's been nice to see the, the, you know, the family develop as it were. And I think that's so impressive when you think of what this year has been, where it's not like the players, the two teams have been able to train next to each other, right? They're not, they're not really able to go to each other's games and hang out. Right. Um, But, but we saw that during the challenge cup, it seemed very organic from the dynamo players that they were engaged in whatever the dash was doing and, and vice versa. And, and I love how they fully embraced, um, you know, hold it down and and how that, you know, rhymes so so wonderfully with H-Town. What really cracked <laughs> me up was uh, a couple of friends of mine who used to live in Houston, you know, they would see the hand signal and they're like, wait, is that the UT thing or is that the Giga Maggie's? No! What, 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 Jester? And so I had to explain. I was, I was like, no, if you do it this way with your hand facing this way, it's H-Town. If you do it this way, facing, yeah. Um, but I just thought it was funny. Because, well, yeah, and I knew there was a difference. Yeah, I, but I still had to ask. I, I, was, I was like, okay, I know there's a difference. What's exactly the difference? You know, so that I could explain it <laughs> really clearly. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> 
but it's been real fun to see the guys and gals. They really are. Um, and to your point, it's hard in COVID. It is not a regular world 2020, unfortunately. Um, but but there, but it's been kind of fun because since the ladies did have such an amazing year and the guys conversely did not, um, they're feeling some pressure now. And I mean, I think that's, that's, that's pretty cool that, but in a good way, I mean, it's camaraderie, it's it's motivation. It's like, Hey, we're playing for Houston. We're not just playing for ourselves here. Um, we want to make our city proud. And so, um, you know, James Clarkson has done an amazing job with the dash and really kind of cultivating and crafting that team, um, over the years. And, and now that we have tab Ramos on the dynamo side, I mean, he just came in and God bless him. You come in during COVID. It's gotta be a nightmare just trying to navigate through that. But, you know, he's going to build his type of team with his type of play. And, um, I think we're going to see similar results that we saw with James, uh, cultivating the dash of tab, uh, evolving the dynamo as well. Definitely, definitely. So what's what are the plans moving forward? Um, you know, because like you said, it's you're you're building a house, you've put down the foundation and you've started to construct, you know, the, the club in a new image. And I've said this to people when when you know, because we've obviously had issues with the dash in the past as being perceived as the team where, you know, no players wanted to go there. And and I think dash have turned a huge corner in that. But I've also been telling people for a while, basically, you know, since John Walker came on board and now it's been, you know, two years since he came on board, it's like... I'm seeing big changes being made. They're just all behind the scenes. So it's not like you're going to flip a switch and suddenly yeah. everything's better, right? But I think just yeah. like with the, with the dash, we could see like 2019 wasn't great, but we did see some improvements, right? And then you saw them pay off in 2020. And I think, you know, even this, this rebrand is, is part of that. And, and I like to remind people too, that of course, Dash and also Dynamo, they both, both organizations came about so suddenly they were both mid December announcements that had to start playing in early April. So there was, there was no, there was never a launch really of either of those. Absolutely. Somebody phrased it. Yeah. Somebody phrased it to me the other day. Um, They said, the amount of work we had put into in the last year um, and a half or so of really developing this one club mentality and the hold it down campaign and, and, you know, promoting the men and women on equal footing. Um, you know, they were like, somebody said the other day, you guys have spent more time on that than the dynamo or dash did when they started in Houston, because it was like two weeks and then, Oh, we're playing soccer today. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it was, it, it, you know, so, you know, obviously that was a great opportunity for us to really take some time. And as we kind of look forward, you know, you're going to see, um, we're really going to take that one club mindset and everything we do, we're going to promote fandom of both teams, uh, and to increase the profile of the dash as well. You know, we want folks to be fans of both, uh, teams, not just, you know, one or the other dash fans should be dynamo fans. Dynamo fans should be dash fans. I mean, cause we are one club and, you know, we're going to be putting Houston at the forefront of all of our decision-making and um, embracing the culture of the city. I think you'll see us leaning more into our youth development and playing kids from Houston. And um, what I'm really excited about is you're going to see us leading through action in our community, you know, cause we're, we're not satisfied with, you know, just, you know, 
doing a donation for some worthy cause. We really want the opportunity to unite and organize people when the community is in need. And, you know, some we were able to do that, you know, through um, food drives for the recent hurricane. We, you know, enabling becoming BVVA, becoming a voting location um, this Friday. The 20th, we're going to be um, donating soccer equipment to Yates High School in conjunction with um, Trey the Truth and Bump Box and Adidas. And, you know, Yates High School is, um, you know, previously not had boys and girls soccer teams, and they've been losing students to other schools so they can go play soccer. And this will get them on a level playing field with those schools so they can have some teams going at their own high school. So we're really excited about that, building the mini pitches throughout our community, through the parks, and offering free soccer lessons, and trying to tear down those pay-for-play walls that, um, unfortunately, are so prevalent in youth sports now. So, you know, you're going to continue to see a lot of that. One thing, kind of on the fun side, we're going to be launching our new bandana concept. Well, we actually shared it um, with our uh, brand announcement, but, you know, scarves are always going to be true to soccer, and that's wonderful, but it's if you know, if you kind of take a look at it, it's because you know those climates dictated. It's cold in England right. and New York right. and Boston and Houston. Not so much here. <laughs> yeah, it's <hard laughs> so we don't really need a scarf, and and so we thought bandanas are true to Houston's culture. People wear them all walks of life, all ages, all demographics, and so you know, folks use them for hair ties. They can wear them as face masks, but. Really, we're excited because we're going to incorporate them into the game time action next year in a rally towel type format um, because scarves are just really stationary and the rally towels will get our fans up and moving. So um, the bandanas, I should say, not rally towels. But it works works as a rally towel. That's brilliant. Exactly. Yeah. So we're, you know, these changes aren't going to happen overnight, as you so um, aptly pointed out, but. Um, I think if you check back in a year or two, you're going to see the successes we've had with the Dash, where in the past we had some stars on the team, um, you know, and those people were really great stars. But it wasn't until um, we came together as a group, a cohesive unit, that we experienced success on the Dash side. And so I think you're going to start, you're going to see that in every vein of our business, like whether it's the business side and the front office or if it's the technical side on the dash or dynamo we're just going to keep leaning into that and growing that so i'm really bullish about our future i i'm excited about it and um i'm glad to also be an example in the united states of a men's and women's team being on equal footing and being promoted together and showcasing in a light um to to um for other people to model their you know their activities after so i'm excited to kind of be that um, impetus for, you know, a new viewpoint. Well, last quick question for you, and this is a fun one, and and it's one of my favorite topics, of course, is merch. Um, I love uh, what's been done with uh, Sam and Davies, you know, a local uh, merchandising, I guess, I don't know, apparel style. I don't know how we describe Sam and Davies, but of course the name is from Sam Houston and Davy Crockett and they do Houston specific stuff. And, and I love the combo Dash and Dynamo apparel that they've been putting out. Yeah, it was so cool to, you know, one thing we really wanted to do was, again, we wanted to lean into Houston and we want to be Houston's team. We just don't want to be these soccer, these teams that play soccer here, you know, 
um, we really want to ingrain ourselves in the community. And so while national websites and merchandise is all great and good, but, you know, we kind of wanted to align ourselves locally with some, you know, small businesses and boutiques. And Sam and Davey has such a great eye for fashion and as well as just um, they have a passion about Houston and Texas in general. And so, you know, who better to kind of align with to do, you know, limited short run um, exclusive offerings. And, and so we were really excited that they partnered with us on this and, and we're really looking forward to seeing the new gear out and about because we really feel like it's not just, you're not just repping the, the club, you're, you're repping the city. And, and because it's just, you know, we're trying to make it fun and fashionable that athleisure kind of uh, vibe, but also have all the main staples that everybody loves, like ball caps and visors and sweatshirts as well. So um, we're excited about it. Yeah. So um, they've been a great partner. Well, Katie, thank you so much for taking the time to chat about the the new Crest and, and the whole one team, hold it down concepts that you've worked on. Really appreciate it. And good luck in, in 2021. Thanks, Jen. Appreciate you and and the community and all the support of women's soccer you guys give us. All right, time to wrap it up with the back four. First, we finally get a U.S. Women's National Team game, as Ann Peterson and I talked about Thursday, November 7th, the U.S. women will play Netherlands in a rematch of the 2019 Women's World Cup Final. That game will be played in the Netherlands in an empty stadium. All kinds of COVID protocols in place, of course. Uh, That game will air live. I think it kicks off 11.30 a.m. Central Time. I think that sounds right on ESPN2. Just check out ussoccer.com for more information about the roster, broadcast, all kinds of stuff. Um, going to be really exciting to watch that game finally get a national team game. We haven't had one since March 11th. And of course, we have already, before Thanksgiving, the format of the NWSL 2021 season, which I talked about in the Jens Planer. So we know preseason starts February 1st, Challenge Cup mid-April, regular season mid-May. Championship game will be the weekend of November 20th, 21st, basically a year from now. Be the latest that the season has ever gone. Uh, each team will will play 24 games. No word yet on how the season will be adjusted for the Olympic break. That's TBD. But kind of kind of cool to have all that other information so early, and, as well as the date of the college draft. We know that will be Wednesday, January 13th. And if you haven't checked out Woso Nerd Links, uh, the page on KeeperNotes.com, you definitely want to do that. You want to bookmark that page. You want to check it regularly. I try to keep all kinds of great data there free for everyone to use and enjoy as they need. Uh, If you have any questions or you find an error, sure, send me an email, keeper at KeeperNotes.com. And last is we're getting close to the holiday shopping season. But hey, for us Woso people, it's always shopping season, right? Um, Lots of things for sale on my side, including, of course, the Almanac. I'm working on the 2020 Almanac now. Already have a Challenge Cup special booklet that's just about the dash. Uh, There's also other things I have for sale, including um, T-shirts that I've designed on Spreadshirt, 
And there's also a store link on keepernotes.com with some other random collectibles for sale. I will be featuring more gift ideas uh, next month um, from a lot of other people. If you have something you want to suggest, send me an email, keeper at keepernotes.com. And hey, show your support for NWSL by shopping at nwslshop.com and or all the online club stores. And anytime you're actually in a real store, wearing your mask, of course, um, and you see soccer stuff, but you don't see NWSL, ask somebody who works there, say, hey, do you carry anything from the NWSL? You know, whichever team is closest to you. Do you carry anything for the U.S. national team? Don't get mad at them for not having it. Just make sure they know that people want it. All right. That's it for this episode of the Mixo Women's Soccer Podcast. Thanks to everyone for listening, everyone who shares this podcast with a friend or tweets about it, and many thanks to both the Beautiful Game Network for hosting and my producer, Sean, for putting it all together. But now she's anybody's girl.